All right, welcome back to the Power of the Presence. This is part nine. Let's pray and jump into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is truth. It's absolutely true that you are working behind the scenes on our behalf, that your word always accomplishes what you set it out to do, that you're not a man, that you would lie, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Help us to, Father, get a hold of these truths about the power and the presence. Holy Spirit, I ask that you give me utterance. You give each individual rhema, specific spoken word, that they would take this written word that we preach and mix it with faith, and it would come alive for them, and it would profit them. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we are in John 14, 16, which has been our jumping off scripture, and I will pray the Father, Jesus said, and he'll give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because they see him not, or they don't perceive him, neither do they know him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Now, so, right, so the Holy Spirit's with us, then he shall be in us. And then this time, the Holy Spirit was just with the disciples, not just the twelve but all the disciples, all the followers of Jesus that he was speaking to. And uh, Drew and I were talking this week at the end of Jesus' ministry in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. There was only 120 disciples in that room at the end of his three-and-a-half-year ministry, three-year ministry. Okay, so that's Acts 1.8, that the Holy Ghost would come upon you, and then you get power. So he's with you, then he'll be in you, then he'll come up on you. Um, and we know that he was in them at a separate time than when he came upon them. Because Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, breathed upon them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And, and we're going to look at that today. So there's a, there's a separation between the power and the presence. It's two different things, which we've seen all along, right? So the presence of God is that he's with you and he abides in you. But there's no power with that. And, and, and part of the presence is his glory, his ways, right? that's his brilliance, his personhood, the face of God, all his attributes, his characteristics, and his names, right? This is all his presence, the power and the presence. The power, that's when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, is also known as the anointing, the hand of God, the arm of God, the finger of God, his works, and his acts. And it's completely separate, right? We saw this for many, many weeks. Moses knew the ways, right? The ways, the power, uh, the presence, the ways. Remember, but uh, the children of Israel knew his acts, his power. And you can, you can know the power. You could be on the receiving end of the power, the business end. You could, be on, you could receive the good end of the power where it, it solves problems for you and never really know the presence. And you could use the power. Right, but it always, if you use it for personal gain, as we saw with Samson, it, it, it doesn't end up well for you. Right. So there's always, there's got to be a connector to stand in the gap between the power and the presence. We saw, remember, Samson's parents, they knew the presence. Right. And then, uh, but Samson knew the power. They knew, right. So the same thing with Moses. He knew the ways of God. Remember, he was a servant of God first and a friend of God, all those things. So, but today we're going to jump. Remember last week, uh, we talked about as Jesus is, so are we. And we looked at what Jesus did and the works of Jesus. I want to jump off there today and we're going to take it a step further, 
right? Not just watching what Jesus did, but then how can we do it, right? This is the practical side of this. And in John 14, 12, right, it says, truly, truly, or verily, verily, Jesus talking, I say unto you, he or she that believes on me, the person that believes on me, the works that I do, he or she shall do also. And greater works than these shall he or she do, because I go unto my Father, shall they do. Whoever believes on me, the person that believes on me, will do the works that I do and greater. And then we saw in Matthew 4.23 that Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching, here's the work, because what are the works of Jesus? Here we found out what they were. He went about all around Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sicknesses and all manner of diseases among the people. So the works of Jesus, the works that he did was teaching. Then he also did preaching the good news, right? Not preaching hell and damnation. You never saw that one time coming out of his mouth. Every time that he, he said, hey, I don't condemn you. Where's your accuser? I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. Oh, and by the way, is it easier for me to say sins are forgiven or get up, take up your bed and walk, you paralytic? You know what? Just so you know that I can, that I, when I say your sins are forgiven, uh, you know what? Go ahead and take up your bed and walk, right? And heal the paralytic, right? So these are the works. He's teaching. He's preaching good news, not hellfire and damnation. And he's, he's healing all manner of sickness and all manner of dis-ease, right? So diseases, right? That's all like the mental and emotional. It could be any disorder in your body. It could be anything that causes you dis-ease, pain, right? And then sickness, right? That's when you got the virus and the bacteria and the infection and the cancer and the, right, all this other stuff, right? That, that are, so it's covering everything. Here's what he does. He goes and he teaches. Now, and that he's teaching in the synagogues. He's teaching covenant people. Don't try to teach somebody that's not in the covenant. When he went to the multitudes, he preached. He just proclaimed good news. Listen, here's that, right? And Doug and I are uh, talking about this. Doug Brown and I on the Logos Uncovered. Here's the seven parts of salvation, man. Here's the seven redemptive, you know, sections of, you know, my, what I'm doing. Right. And that, and it's spiritual health and physical health and mental health and emotional health and social health, harmonious relationships and financial health. Oh, and by the way, safety. Right. So this is all good news. So when you're somebody's not in the covenant, you should only be saying good news. I, someone who's not a believer already, or maybe they are a, right. But once they become a believer, they should get into, you know, uh, a place where they could be taught. Right. That's, and here it's the synagogues, you know, it should be churches, small groups. Uh, in this day and age, whenever two or three are gathered together, it doesn't have to be like a formal setting, but two or three are gathered in my name, right? That's when we do teaching. And teaching, we saw, um, again, we looked at the Logos Uncovered. The first One of the first things was Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? The shepherd is somebody who does m the mental health part. We do coat, thy rod and thy staff, they, they comfort me, right? Your training, your instruction, your discipline, your chastisement. All that, you know, the, as the disciple, right? The Jedi master with the Padawan learner, right? That's what brings me comfort, right? So that's where the teaching comes. And Jesus is a great commission said, go into all the world and make disciples, not make believers, right? So here comes when you preach the good news. These are the works. The preaching of all the good news. This is what Jesus did for you, right? He took all your sin and all your sickness on his body and paid the price for it. The debt is paid so you don't have to have any of that when people are, and then that's mixed with faith. They're like, yeah, that's it for me. 
then they get born again, right? And then they get healed of all manner of sicknesses and diseases. So you're watching in a, in a social, right? So you see in this, so you get spiritual health. That's the first thing when you believe. And then physical health, your body is made whole. Your mental health, your mind is restored. Emotional health, you're not under disease or distress anymore. Social health, it brings peace into your household. Financial health, he's taking care of all your material needs. You don't have to worry about that anymore. And safety, you don't have to live in fear uh, for safety. This is what, this is his works. Right. So, and then we saw this in Matthew 9 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages. This is several chapters later in Matthew, teaching again, here's the works of Jesus in the synagogue, preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Not some, not, you know, selective. It's not the lottery or a raffle. I'm not sure who he healed them all. Everybody, everybody, everybody. That's the works of Jesus. And he said, hey, listen, if you believe on me, the works that I do, you're going to do and you'll do greater. And then in Matthew 9, 36, right, 35, teaching, preaching, healing, it, we get this little piece and I don't want to skip over it, right? But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they fainted, because they were scattered abroad and they were as sheep having no shepherd. So here's the thing. When you're in the multitudes, well, if you're a disciple, you have a shepherd, right? You're, you're being shepherded. You're being taught the rod and the staff, right? You're getting instruction. You're getting coaching. You're getting mentoring. Right. But he sees the multitudes and he's moved with compassion or it says that he had pity on. He felt sorry for them. There was great sadness. Right. And he wanted to do something about it. So here's what you do about it. You tell them good news and then you heal all their sicknesses and their diseases. Then what that caused, it says that the goodness of God causes people to come to repentance. It makes them change direction. They come back into the fold, the family of God. Right. That's what causes them. And then. You could shepherd them. You can mentor them. You can coach them. You could teach them. So here's the formula. I, I see people that are living uh, not in God's best. They have dis-ease. They have sickness. They have guilt. They have anxiety. They don't have peace in their relationships. They're struggling to make their bills. They fear for their safety because there's terrorist attacks or civil war or there's riot, whatever it is. Then I, I say, hey, man, they need coaching. They need teaching. Could go into all the world and make disciples, teach them, coach them, shepherd them, right? Mentor them. So the first thing I do is tell them, here's what's available to you. Jesus did all this. He took every sin and every sickness, sacrificed one time forever so that you don't have to have any of those things. No dis, dis ease or sickness in your body, none in your mind or emotions and your spirit comes alive unto God, and you have right standing, uh, unblameable, unreprovable, without sin, fault, or guilt. You could boldly stand in front of him. The price has already been paid. Jesus did it in your name, and now you're the son of God or the daughter of God. You're the child of God. You're not alone out from him anymore, right? And then when they get a hold of that, then they believe it. If something sparks on the inside, and that's the Holy Spirit's job, he convinces them that they're settling for less and there's a better way. He convinces them of righteousness, of the covenant, of his equity, of his goodness. Oh, and by the way, he convinces them that, listen, Satan's already been defeated of judgment. He's already done. It's defeated. The, the thing is already done. By Jesus' stripes, you've already been healed. You don't have to fight for your healing anymore. Jesus did it. You don't have to fight for right standing with God anymore. Jesus already did it. You don't have to fight for having, you know, no anxiety or depression. 
right? Or, or an emotional roller coaster or bad relationships or fight for your, you know, your provision anymore. Fight for your safety. You don't have to. Jesus already did it. This is the job of the Holy Spirit to do these things, right? And then that is the works of Jesus. And we saw in Acts 10, 38, that this is the, the testimony, right, of Peter when he's preaching to all the Gentiles, Cornelius. He says, listen, here's the, this is him telling the good news. I'm telling you how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power to set, right? He's anointed with the Holy Ghost and power and went about doing good, beauty, bounty, better, the best, happy, welfare, cheerful, and glad, lighthearted, and willing, right? Health and prosperity, love and abundance, and healing all, not some, not a select few, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him, Jehovah Shammah, my presence. He's with me, right? And he's with you, and he's with, he was with Jesus. It's the same. Here's the works. Now, this is interesting because now we see how the power, right? Jesus said, hey, you'll be anointed when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. You'll be, you'll have power to be witnesses for service. And here we see Peter looking back. He said, listen, God anointed. So here's the anointing. The anointing was a, a thing that they did in the Old Testament where they would take a, a, a vial or a jar, a jug of oil, of olive oil, and they would pour it on. And that would be a ceremony. Uh, for the king and the prophet and the priest, right? So you could look at this like in kind of First Kings 19, you'll see it, Elijah was told, he's like, oh, boo-hoo, uh, there's nobody here but me, no one loves me. God's like, listen, I got 7,000 uh, people in the covenant. I got 7,000 covenant keepers you don't even know about. But here's your job. Get up, go anoint this guy king of Syria, of Assyria, anoint this guy king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and anoint this guy, Elisha, my prophet. So he takes the oil and he anoints it, and then the Holy Spirit comes upon these people uh, for service. That's what God did with Jesus. Now look at the two parts, right? Remember, he's the Holy Ghost is with him and in him, but the power comes upon him. And we're going to do these works. Now, in John 3, 34, uh, it says that, um, well, let's just look at that. I want to just look at John 3, 34. This is like right after Jesus gets baptized. Right, and John the Baptist is looking down upon this whole thing. And uh, he says in John 3, 34, For whom God has sent speaks the words of God. Now, he's talking about Jesus, but look at this. He's talking about all of us. Whoever God sent speaks the words, the words of God. And, and that word speaks the words of God. That's the rhema, the spoken word of God. Speaks the rhema. Whoever God has sent Go ye into all the world and teach, teach, make disciples of. Go wherever you go, make disciples. Whom God has sent speaks the rhema, the spoken word of God. For God gives not the spirit by measure. And then it says in italics in the King James, unto him. Or in the uh, God's word version, it says the spirit without limit, without measure. God gives. See that unto him. And a lot of, I've seen a lot of men say, well, see, Jesus, he gave Jesus the spirit without measure, but we don't. According to your faith, be it unto you. But it says, he says he gives the spirit without measure. Now, I want to prove to you that if he, if he did give Jesus the spirit without measure, even if it read like that, you also get the spirit without measure according to your faith, be it unto you, because we saw in John our first John 4.13 last week, remember, was one of my favorite scripture passages. Hallelujah. Hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. How much of that? 
How much of that spirit do you get? Well, and jump down to verse 14, it says, because herein is our love made perfect or mature that we would have boldness in the day of crisis or judgment, crisis, because as he is, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. (laughs) I get happy when I see that. So listen, he gives the spirit without limit, even if he gave it to Jesus. And I'll agree with that. He did give to Jesus without measure. And I'll agree with this. There's a lot of believers that don't have the spirit without measure. But a lot of them aren't believing for the spirit. It's just like Doug and I were talking about in Logos Uncovered. That's seven parts of the salvation package. Most people take the born again part. Uh, I get, quote, quote, saved. My sins are forgiven. They leave off the other six parts of salvation, including safety, financial and material uh, health, uh, social health with relationships, mental and emotional health, and then physical health. Their bodies degenerate. I mean, I have people trying to quote me the word, and this is exactly what Satan did. He twisted the word for just that's how he came to uh, Jesus. He said, well, God said, you know, eat, turn these stones to bread. Jump off this temple mount. And angels will bear you up. He'd be like, well, it says in Ecclesiastes that my eyes are going to get dim and my ears. Man, oh, Shevet, stop using the word to cut yourself up. Use it for surgery and fix yourself. So as he is, so are we in this world. So that brings up the question, how is he? How is he? I, I want to look at this as great. This is, uh, again, the last time that there's red in my Bible. This is the closest time that I could get to where there's red in my Bible was in Revelation. So the Apostle John, right, they try to, bo- this is what tradition says, they tried to martyr him like everybody else, and he just wouldn't die. He did not, right, die. you couldn't kill him. They boiled him in oil, and he's like, yeah, what's up, guys? Thanks for this olive oil bath. It's nice and warm. It's like a spa in here. So what they did is they put him on this Isle of Patmos as uh, for um, exile. They gave him a sentence, and he had to stay out there by himself. So he's out there by himself, couldn't kill him. And in Revelation 1, right, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a great voices of a trumpet saying, and here it is written in red, here's Jesus talking, this is like in AD 96, hey, I'm Alpha and Omega, I'm the first and last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And now I'm like all hears, because this is the last letters, epistles, written to the church. And they're straight from Jesus' mouth. Listen, people like, they stay out of the book of Revelation. All the apocalypse stuff doesn't even happen until chapter 4. They don't even start there until chapter four. So the first three chapters really should have been separated out by a different book, and it should have been like fourth John, right? Because <laughs> you have first John, second John, third John, or whatever. This is really these are letters to the church that should have been read in the churches as just like Paul's letters, Peter's letters, right? John's letters, the book of Hebrews, the book of Romans, Jude, right? All that. It's, so this is very relevant. Has nothing to do with prophecy or the end times. And in verse 12 of chapter 1, John said, And I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of these seven candlesticks, there was one that was like unto the capital S, Son of Man, which is Jesus. He always referred to himself as Son of Man, if you remember in the Gospels. He's like, that looks like Jesus. But... 
He was clothed with a garment down to his foot and girt about the loins with a golden girdle. So he had this, he had this white robe that went all the way. It's like the Jedi robe that goes all the way down. And his belt is a golden belt carrying it all together. Now it's not like a thin belt. It's thick. It's a pretty thick belt, right? Carry that's pretty awesome. And his head and his hairs were white like wool, white as snow. And his eyes were flames of fire. Like if you saw like the, uh, like um, well, one of the Avengers movies, I think it was the Thor one where he's like, the, now he's the God of lightning, right? And his eyes like, you know, when he's like, oh yeah, just get, he doesn't need the hammer anymore, right? When his eyes zap out, I think he was fighting the Hulk or something. It's like that. That's how I imagine it. So I'm like, oh my goodness, his eyes were like flames of fire. It's like, he's got the, the lightning going. And his feet were like undefined brass if they were burned in a furnace. And his voice was the sound of many waters. It's like the rapids, right? A class four rapids, right? The, or many waters is Niagara Falls, if you've ever been there. Right? His voice is, is, this is how Jesus is. And remember, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. And he had in his hands, verse 16, seven stars. And out of his mouth went a two-edged sword. Now, what's the two-edged sword? We saw this in Hebrews, right? Is that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we saw in Ephesians, the armor of God, that the sword uh, of the Spirit is the word of God, the rhema word of God. So when you speak the word, this is the same weapon that we have. The rhema word, when you speak the rhema, and remember, Speak, remember, he gives the spirit without measure to the person who God sent, and the person who God sent is the one who speaks the rhema, words of God, in John 3, 34. And his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. He's, this is what his skin is like, glistening, like the sun. It's just, I mean, he's fit and tan, okay? And, and he's got a glow about him. Now, we said something, there's the seven golden candlesticks. I want you to just put that, we're going to look at that, because he's standing in the middle of these seven golden candlesticks. Now, what is that? Well, let's just keep looking. Now, in Revelation 3 and verse 1, let's jump there. This is Jesus talking, it's in red in my Bible, and he says, under the angel of the church, or the pastor of the church in Sardis, the messenger, who's the messenger, is the one that's usually giving the message. So whoever the ones that are teaching and preaching in the church of Sardis, write this. This is what you tell him. These are the things that saith he that hath the seven spirits of God. That's how he described. He's like, remember when Moses was on the mat, he said, who do I say tell him to send me? He said, say that I am that I am sent me. That's what the father said. This is Jesus talking. He said, you tell him the one who has the seven spirits of God. Now, we just saw the seven candlesticks, and now he says, I have the seven spirits of God. Now, when I first saw it, I was like, what? The seven spirits of God? There's only one spirit, the Holy Spirit. Well, if you jump over to Revelation 4 and verse 5, now this is this is the beginning of the end time, the apocalyptic right vision part, but it gives us what's going on in the throne room, right? It gives us a snapshot or a quick movie clip of the workings of the throne room before they get to, you know, the judgments and the seals and the horses and all that, right? So out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, that's the Father's throne, which are, so what are the seven lamps? We saw seven candlesticks, the lamb, or Jesus, right? 
faithful and true. He's the one that has the white robe on and the golden belt and the white hair and the eyes of lightning and the sword coming out of his mouth. The seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Remember, the Bible's a legal document. It always defined for you. It always You don't have to ever wonder. All you have to do is search out, and it'll define. So we know the seven lamps right, that are burning before the throne, the seven lamps that we saw in chapter one that, that Jesus was standing in the midst of, and then Jesus said, I'm the one that has the seven spirits of God, and here's the connector. The seven lamps are the seven spirits of God. So Jesus has them. He's standing in the middle of them, and they are before the throne. And remember, as Jesus is, so are we, not when we get to heaven, right now in this world. So I want to look at these seven lamps. The first time we ever talk about the seven golden lamps is when Moses is getting the plan to build the tabernacle. And I don't have time to go through this right now, but here's what Moses was given the plan based on the model of what's going on in heaven. The Holy of Holies, all the stuff that everything that is done in this tabernacle, on this plan, and then eventually the temple is a model of, it's modeled after what the angels do in heaven. And you guys can look that up. It's in Hebrews, right? And there's some other parts of it in in Corinthians and some of Paul's writings. Okay, so in Exodus 25, because I, I, I'm trying really, really hard. I'm really working hard not to get stuck in these little rabbit holes, okay? So Exodus 25 and 31, here's God giving Moses the plan. He said, make a lampstand out of pure gold. Remember the golden candlesticks? There's seven of them, seven spirits of God, seven lamps of fire burning before the throne. He's modeling this, tells Moses, make the lampstand out of pure gold. The lampstand and its base and its shaft, as well as the flower cups, buds, and petals shall be hammered out of one piece of gold. So there's not different parts. They're not welding it together. It's all one piece. And six branches are to come out of the sides Three branches on one side and three on the other. So now here's the seven, right, spirits of God, the seven candlesticks, the seven flame, right? There's one that goes up the center, and there's three on each side. Three. Now, I'm going to show you this, but the one up the center, right, that's the, the presence. The three that shoot out on each side, the other six, that's the power. And I'll show it to you in a minute, but I'm just kind of laying that, just putting that in the back burner, right? So the six branches come out, three on branches on one side, three branches on the other, Exodus 25 and 33. And each of the six branches coming out of the lampstand is to have three flower cups shaped like almond blossoms with buds and petals. And the lampstand itself shall have four flower cups shaped like almond and blossoms and buds and petals. And there will be a bud under each of these three pairs of branches coming out of the lampstand. And the buds and the branches shall also be hammered out of the same piece of pure gold as the lampstand. And make the seven lamps and set them on the lampstand so that they would light up the area in the front. Now, jump over to Exodus 27 because this gives us another piece of what we do. So now we're building it. And now is the operation. How do we run it? In Exodus 27 and 20. And you'll command the children of Israel that they would bring pure olive oil beaten out, smashed for the light to cause the lamp to burn always. Now, here's the picture of what's going on. In heaven, there's seven spirits of God. Remember, And the oil, the anointing, which we just said, God was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. So there's two parts here. So the spirit comes on you, he's with you, and he's in you. That's the center lampstand. Then he comes upon you for service and for power. That's the three branches on each side. That's the six hundred branches. 
To keep this lamp burning all the time, we have to continually fill it with oil. Fill it with oil. Fill it with oil. Pure olive oil. That's what keeps the lamp burning. Okay? Now, uh, man, I don't Oil is a is the anointing, right? That's what you use to anoint. That's where the power comes from. It's the fuel for the power. So they had to continually, 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 continually fill those. Uh, it's the little almond buds. That's the the little buckets, right? Under that's what they would fill those little almond blossoms and petals and buds with the oil, and then they would light the lamp, and that would f- you know feed the light. I hope you get. Father, help me get this out. So when Jesus was anointed, now listen, when Jesus was first born, we saw this last, last week, when he first came out of the womb, his spirit was alive unto God. He didn't get power until he was 30 years old. It wasn't until he, the Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of, it was like John saw, it was like, it looked like a dove. Oh, wow, look, that's like, because he could physically, bodily see the Holy Spirit come down upon him. That's when Jesus got power. But he was always the son of God. He always knew the presence. He, he was, his spirit was alive unto God. He was perfect. Remember, he was at 12 years old in the temple, and he had great, you know, he, he knew what was going on. He's talking back. He knows the power and the presence. I mean, he knows the presence. He knows the power's coming, but he doesn't have any. Remember, because he didn't do his first miracle until he turned the water into wine. Listen to last week. I don't want to re-preach it. But as Jesus is, so are we in this world. He's the one that has the seven spirits of God. And we saw it's the seven candlesticks. That's what it, and he's in the middle of it. And I have it. Now, what are these seven spirits of God? It always just, I was like, man, I don't even know what that is. So you meditate on this. So then you search this out. So you're looking for this. What are the seven anointings? What are these seven spirits? Because it's, and remember, seven is a number. It's complete. God's always remember seven days. On the seventh day, I rested. It's complete, right? Seven, six is the number of man. That's why, oh, the mark of the beast, six, 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 right? Seven is the number of God. It's perfection. In Isaiah 11, we see what these seven spirits are. And we see, it, it writes it very clearly that these are on Jesus. Isaiah 11 and verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. That's David. Jesse was David's father. And the Messiah is always known as the son of David. Son of David, have mercy on us. That's the branch. There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch, capital B, shall grow out of his roots. Remember, I'm I'm the vine and you're the branches, but he's the original branch, right? That's what it says right here. He's the he is the the core uh, of uh, the vineyard. So there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest up on him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge. And of the fear of the Lord, and he shall make of him quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, nor reprove after the hearing of his ears. These are the seven spirits, the seven candlesticks. Now, the center shaft is the spirit of the Lord. That's the one that's the presence. The spirit of the Lord is the presence. Three branches. And, and listen, go Google like seven, you know, the, the Jewish candlestick right in the temple. A picture of it will come up. You probably have seen it. It's like the one they light at Hanukkah. The center branch, 
is the Spirit of the Lord. That's the presence. When you accept Jesus, you get born, you get that presence. You get spiritual health. You're born again. My spirit is joined to the Lord's spirit. We're one spirit. The three on one side and the three on other, those branches, that's the power. That's the seven spirits of God. When you believe on Jesus, you get the first one. As you grow up and become a full-grown son and you're ready for service, that's when you get the other six. And listen, you don't have to get all six. I pray for all six of them. I pray all six of them, all seven. I pray that my kids would be filled with the seven spirits of God. I pray that I'd be filled with the seven spirits of God. Because when you see what these are, man, there ain't nothing missing, nothing broken after that. You want shalom, shalom, perfect peace? You want to like walk in power? You want to walk in safety? You want to walk in financial provision? You want to walk in harmonious relationships? You want to walk where you have peace in your mind? Right and your order, you have order to your thoughts. You don't have, you're not on the emotional roller coaster. You don't have mood swings, right? You want to walk in physical health where you don't have any pain or sickness or disease or infirmity or weakness. This is it. This is how we get it. As Jesus is, so are we. And this is how you do the works of Jesus. This is how you go about teaching, preaching, and healing all that are oppressed of the devil. Most of us, when we get born again, we don't even know. And I mean, if you just had the spirit of the Lord and you plugged into that, into the presence, you're going to have a great life. It's, <laughs> But you don't serve anybody else. It's really selfish of you just to say to have the service. Imagine if Jesus never did any works, that he just kept the spirit of the Lord, right? This one center branch. He didn't do the other six. There was no power. There was no teaching, no preaching or healing, but he had a great life. But he didn't, the but people around him didn't experience power. Shame, right? That's not for us. It wasn't for Jesus. That's not what he did. He had compassion because they didn't have a shepherd. Compassion on people. Compassion on people. You're not getting this package of these seven spirits for you. And for you to skip the other six and just hang on to your, I'm just going to hang on to the spirit, hold on and press on. Oh, I'm born again. Right? And you don't walk in any power. It's the epitome of selfishness. Imagine how selfish Jesus would have been if he didn't go about teaching, preaching good news, and healing all manner of sicknesses, all manner of diseases, doing good and healing all that are oppressed of the devil. How selfish would he have been? That's not his character, and it's not as Jesus is, so are we in this world. So now we saw there's the Spirit of the word, Spirit of the Lord. That's the center one. Then look, here's the other six. The Spirit of Wisdom right out of uh, Isaiah 11 and verse 2. The spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. These are the seven spirits of God. The spirit of the Lord, center branch, three on one side, spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, and I would group in the spirit of knowledge because knowledge, wisdom, and understanding usually go together. And then on the other side is the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Now, what in the world are all these things, Andrew? Right. So you're, this is how you also logos uncovered, right? We're talking about how do I walk with the Lord and meditate. Meditate on these seven spirits of God. What are each one of these things? I do. Can't get enough of them. Can't get enough of them. So I want to start with just the presence, right? The spirit of the Lord. Interestingly enough, the center branch the Spirit of the Lord, this center of the seven candlesticks. 
there's actually seven parts. I know, shocker, right? This is how God is. There's seven parts to the Spirit of the Lord in the New Testament. Seven parts, which is super interesting because this is God is a He is not the author of confusion. He is reasonable. He has order. There's logic. We don't know his ways necessarily. You should get to know him. My ways aren't your ways. My thoughts aren't yours. They're, they're higher than yours. But all these law, there's he sets things in order, and he that's how he has to keep his word. Everything is squared away. He has attention to detail. Everything has its place. And we continue to we put systems in place and processes in place, and he uses them. And you'd be like, well, I'm a fly by the seat of the pant. That is not how God's character is. That's why you don't know his ways, because you're flying by the seat of your pants. He scripts everything out. He plans everything out. He game theory stuff. He has strategic plans that are 12 moves ahead of whatever you thought of or anybody else. You're going to see this. These are his ways. If you don't understand them, you cannot cooperate effectively with the power and then go help these folks and, and make disciples and also get them healed and do good. Beauty, bounty, better, the best, happy, welfare, cheerful, glad, lighthearted, willing, right? Happy welfare, health and wealth, prosperity. Oh, health and wealth, Andrew. Yeah, that's good. It's on the good list. I'm just reading what the Bible says. If you got a question of that, go get the Good and Evil series. It's up on word.innerarmor.us. All right, so here's the Spirit of the Lord, and I'll give you these scriptures, and we're not going to look at all of them. I just don't have, I, they're for you to look up. up. You look them up and study and meditate on them. So in John 14, 17, this is one of our jumping off scriptures, the spirit of truth, right? Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither does him or perceives him, but dwells in you and shall be with you, or dwells with you and shall be in you. This is the spirit of truth. Spirit of truth. In Hebrews 10, 29, calls the Holy Spirit, one of his aspects, the spirit of grace, of favor of charisma, privileges and advantages, private law. That's what grace is. You get private law. You get put to the head of the line, even when it's unfair to others, right? Charisma. People are drawn to you. And listen, we do stuff. That's the spirit of grace. And in fact, that grace came to us. We are saved by grace through faith, which is the next one, the spirit of faith. 2 Corinthians 4.13. So if you're writing these down, spirit of truth, is John 14, 17, Spirit of Grace? Is Hebrews 10, 29, Spirit of Faith? 2 Corinthians 4, 13. Now, and Doug and I talked about this in the Logos Uncovered. Faith isn't just like some little, oh, it's our Christian faith or a man of faith. Faith means fidelity, loyalty, faithfulness, right? I'm sold out. That's one of the aspects of the Holy Spirit is that you be faithful and loyal and fidelity, have fidelity. And that's where he is towards you. He's the covenant-making and keeping God. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Never, never, never. He is faithful and true. <laughs> there is no higher guarantee. It said during Abraham's covenant, God said he couldn't swear by anybody greater than himself, so I swore by myself. I swear by myself I'll keep this covenant. This is the spirit of faith faithfulness, of loyalty, of fidelity. Next is the spirit of life, zoe. That's the instantly and constantly renewed life of God. 
That's eternal life, perpetual life. It's perpetually and constantly brand new, brand new, brand new, brand new. That the life of Jesus may be made manifest in my mortal flesh. That's the Zoe, the Zoe of Jesus. The spirit of life in Romans 8 and verse 2. Write that down, spirit of life. Romans 8 and verse 2, it's the spirit of life. Zoe. If you have questions about Zoe, you get the Zoe series, right? I did like 26 weeks on this uh, on the life of God, Zoe. And it's up there again at word.innerarmor.us. Then the next is, it's really, is, it calls it two different things. It uses two different words, but you'll see it's the exact same concept. The spirit of adoption and the spirit of promise. Spirit of adoption and the spirit of promise. In Romans 8, right there again in Romans 8, in chapter, uh, uh, verse 15, I'll look at this one because I want you to see that these are both the same thing. And this oh, makes me so happy, man. So here it is. You get the spirit of truth. You hear the truth, the good news of the truth, and the Holy Spirit comes along with you. Grace and favor and privileges and advantage. So he great by, by grace, by his favor, him doing your favor, giving you the gift. It ignites faith, the spirit of faith, which then you believe on it and you get born again. You get the spirit of life. As soon as you get born again, you get the spirit of adoption or promise. Romans 8 and verse 15, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. Spirit of adoption. In Ephesians 1, just flip over there to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 and verse 13 says this, in whom you have trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the good news of your salvation, in whom you have believed that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest or the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. Spirit of promise. Now, I want to untangle that. The Greek spirit of promise, it means this, an official announcement an official announcement or pronouncement. The guarantee, earnest, the guarantee of your inheritance. Our inheritance is actually in the Greek, it means our patrimony. Our patrimony, that means we are in the family. So here's what the, the spirit of adoption is where we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit of promise is really the spirit of official announcement of our patrimony. This makes me so, this is the same, right? So once... The Holy Spirit bears witness to our sins. Once you're born again and you believe on it, you get, you get the truth, and then God gives you gr the grace, right? The favor. It's for everybody, the gift, right? That's how your salvation through faith, and you believe it. And then you get the Zoe life of God on the inside of you. And now what happens is this Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're not just, we're adopted. Oh, and by the way, it's not a secret adoption. He made an official pronouncement of his patrimony. That's why it says, don't call any man on earth father. Don't call anybody father. There's one in heaven. One in heaven is your father. But you, when we see that, we think, oh, the heavenly father on the throne. Let me tell you something. Jesus' earthly father was not Joseph. People are like, well, Joseph was Jesus. No, he was the stepfather. Jesus' earthly father, the one that impregnated Mary, was the Holy Ghost. She would be overshadowed with the Holy Spirit, and that's where the seed came from. So Jesus' earthly father, his father in heaven, right, that's, you know, Elohim, the father, father on the throne, that's his heavenly father. His earthly father is the Holy Spirit, the one that got him here physically. 
now, once you get born again, you have the heavenly father, but your earthly father, my earthly father isn't Fred any Fred Whitman anymore. My earth, I was adopted, and he made the official proclamation, the same as Jesus' earthly father was the Holy Spirit. Now, my earthly father is the Holy Spirit. He adopted me in the family. My inheritance comes from my earthly father. Your inheritance, that's what I say, your inheritance, the earnest, the down payment, the guarantee of your inheritance is the spirit of promise. The official announcement has been made that the patrimony is the Holy Spirit. Because I'm born of the Holy Spirit. When I, he was joined to the Lord as one spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes and mixes with my spirit. Yes, the Father in heaven. Yes, the Son at the right hand. My earthly Father, the one that's here with me all the time, is the Spirit of the Lord. I have the Spirit of adoption and promise. Official pronouncement that He's my pat. The patrimony is the Holy Spirit. He's my Father. When you get a hold of that, that's when you can begin to walk in the power. Once you know that the Holy Spirit is your earthly Father. This is the package of self. So my earthly father gives me spiritual health. Because of my earth, the inheritance from my earthly father, the Holy Spirit, I can ha- I can walk into my heavenly father into the throne room and also with the master with Jesus up in heaven. Because the Holy Spirit's here on earth. Remember, Jesus, I'll send you another comfort. I'll send it here. Here's your earthly father. He's the one who adopted you. The one that made an official announcement of your patrimony. He's, under, he's my dad now. Patrimony. Official announcement of my adoption. Once you know that, then you have spiritual health. Once you know that, then there's no reason. Now, my earthly father, yeah, he had like five triple by or five bypasses in his heart. Then he had like diabetes, and then there was the insulin and the blood sugar, and then the this, and then my mom had you know same thing. Our patr- our patrim- patrimony, our we're not we don't have that family history anymore. My family, what's in your family? Oh, oh I've been adopted in now. My family history is the Holy Spirit's my earthly father. Does the Holy Spirit have, you know, bypass surgery? Nope. Does he got blood stuff or, you know, blood sugar off? They need it? No. See, this is where physical health comes from. When you understand who your earthly father is, is now the Holy Spirit, you don't have that same family history. You don't have to buy into it. People still do in believers because they don't take they, they don't take it. They don't believe it. Remember, the, the, the power of, look over here in Romans 1. Verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. You don't believe the good news of this seven parts of redemption, the seven parts. If you don't believe that the Holy Spirit is now your earthly father and you don't have the same, then there's no power there. You don't get the power. The power is to them that believe. Romans 3 and verse 2, or for verse 3. Romans 3 and verse 3. For what if some didn't believe? Shall their unbelief Make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Let God be true and every man a liar. <laughs> See, I I love you. I have compassion for you. I, I, I really feel sorry for anybody that doesn't walk in the seven parts of salvation. Mental health, physical health, emotional health, social health, financial health, safety, and spiritual health. A lot of you got born again, you do have spiritual health, and then you drop off. You're running around with one-seventh of the package. Does that, because you didn't believe the rest of the package, does that make it of none effect? No. Let God forbid. Let God be true and everybody else be a liar. 
if you don't believe it and you say that's not enough for today, my Bible tells me that that has no that doesn't matter to me that you didn't believe it. That doesn't affect that this works for me. This does because the power of the gospel is to them that believes on this salvation path. You believe that the Holy Spirit is now your adopted earthly father and all the stuff that comes with it because of what Jesus did. I absolutely, remember I've talked about this before. What makes me so angry is people not experiencing all the benefits of their covenant, not experiencing the package of salvation. They only take one-seventh of it, right, The being born again, and skip off walking in divine health, skip off walking with their mind ordered, skip off walking with they're not on the emotional roller coaster, that they're in charge of their emotions. Oh, and by the way, it's joy, peace, and happiness, that they don't experience harmonious relationships that they don't experience financial health, which is prosperity, which is wealth and riches, having a lot of resources, and we'll just say it, money, and then safety. I'm not, I'm not afraid of a terrorist attack. I'm not afraid of the rioters. I'm not afraid if there's civil war. I'm not afraid in combat or a firefight because I know I walk in safety. Get that Logos Uncovered uh, that we did a couple weeks ago with Doug Brown where I talk about that. Jehovah Nisi, my, my banner. I'm under the protection of the banner. This is all, right? And so then the next of the Spirit of the Lord is the Spirit of glory. The Spirit of glory. And that's in 1 Peter 4, 1 to 4. 1 Peter, oh no, 4, 14. Let me look at that. I think it's 1 Peter 4, 14. Yeah, 1 Peter 4.14. The Spirit of glory. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye for the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. The Spirit of glory. So if someone, so what if you get persecuted? So what if they, you know, say bad things about you because you're with God? They say bad things about God that they give. So what if they say this was an act of God or God? Why is God letting so much uh, sickness on the planet? Why is God letting famine on the planet? Why is God letting wars happen? Why is God letting, the, you know, these missionaries get raped? Why is God letting this person die young? Why is it? Man, that's an evil reproach. That's not God. The spirit of glory is on you. They're going to speak evil of him. Don't worry about it. You got the spirit of glory. And we saw this in uh, in the Covenant for Rookies series, that the word glory is the word kabod. It's also translated the word honor. Rich is honor in life, rich is kabod or glory in life. And there's 15 parts of that glory. And the spirit of remembering God's presence is his glory, his brilliance. And he brings with him that glory comes with you. Can't give, you know, give God all the glory. You can't give anybody anything you don't have. The spirit of glory rests in you. And as you believe this, you get glory. 15 components of glory. I mean, I let's just go over them to see how this matches up with your life. Are you experiencing this? Because it's part of your adoption. It's part of your patrimony. It's part of the package of that center candlestick. We're not even talking about power yet. We're talking about presence. And when the presence, this is why you could have a great life. And really, if you want to be selfish, don't get any glory because you can't give anybody anything you don't have. The first part of glory is wealth, then an entourage. You have a staff. A staff, I'm talking about you got an assistant, you've got, right, 
um, Drew and I were watching the old Perry Masons because I used to watch it with my dad, right? So, and then the HBO series came out, and I'm like, oh, let's watch the original, right? So he's got a staff, he's got an investigator, he's got an associate, he's got somebody that picks up the phones, he's got right. This is the st- that's an entourage. It's glory, commerce, the ability, the power to create wealth and move it around. Do you have that? Because the Holy Spirit has that. That's part of getting born again. That's part of the package. You have the spirit of glory. You would have the the ability to create wealth and move it around. That's all in his presence, not power. And then military power. You would never have to worry about, you know, safety. Wisdom. Promotion. Superiority. Dignity. Authority. Nobility. Valor. Splendor. Majesty. Magnificence. And privileges and advantages. This is all the components of glory. And the spirit of glory, his presence, his brilliance is in you. One spirit with the Lord. And then in Romans 1, 4 is the spirit of holiness. Romans 1, 4, the spirit of holiness. If you get through all that, you get to the spirit of truth and the spirit of grace and the spirit of faith and the spirit of life and the spirit of adoption and a promise and the spirit of glory. And then we get to this last one, right? Romans 1 and verse 4. We'll start in verse 3, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power, according or by means of the spirit of holiness. Wait, did you hear that? How did he get power? How did he get power? The son of God with power by means of or according to, it says in the King James, by means of the spirit of holiness. You meditate on these other six, spirit of truth, the spirit of grace, spirit of faith, spirit of life, spirit of adoption and a promise, spirit of glory. When you get there, then the spirit of holiness is the vehicle to get the other six spirits of God. The three branches on the left and the three branches on the right, the vehicle is holiness. And holiness is simply this, that I'm devoted to a single purpose. And that single purpose is my purpose in life. I'm devoted to it catalog of truths. We talked about that, your God-given purpose. What are the supernaturals that he put inside you, your zone of genius? You have to be sold out to that zone, not be distracted with 15 different other things and 14 projects. And not, no, one thing, holiness. My toothbrush has the spirit of holiness. It's only used for brushing my teeth. I don't scrub the toilet with it. I don't scrub the kitchen counter with it. I don't use it to spread butter on my toast. I don't use it to, you know, clean my Glock or my M14 or my M4, my AK, the shot. I don't use it for any of those. I don't use it to like clean the spark plugs on my car. It's it's dedicated to the purpose. It's a spirit of holiness. It's dedicated to doing the thing that it was created to do, which is brush my teeth. Whatever your purpose is, That's the Spirit of God. That is the vehicle. When you dedicate yourself to that with the Holy Spirit, that is the entrance to getting the other six. And this is what Jesus did. He he publicly went and got baptized by John the Baptist. And the whole thing of repentance. This is what baptism, right? They would immerse people in the Jordan. I've been there to where where this happened in the Jordan River. It's on the Jordan side of the Israeli-Jordanian border. And you would come and they would immerse you in, and it would be the symbolism of I go down into the grave and I died to myself and I repented of my sin and then I come up and now I'm, I'm, it's signifying I have repented. 
that's really the 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 public when people are like well if you uh, you know deny Jesus in front of man he'll deny you in front of God and you have to confess Jesus you know in front of man this is the confession part it's a public proclamation that's that same word as promise right announcement it's official announcement the baptism is the official announcement that I'm dedicated to I'm died to myself and I'm dedicated to my purpose that's what water baptism is Jesus came to do that. And John the Baptist was like, um, you should be baptizing me. This is ridiculous. But no, Jesus made, he went through the eye, right? Public, public declaration, no way back. Eye of the needle kind of thing. Spirit of holiness. As soon as he dedicated himself, committed, burnt the boats behind him, all the bridges, there is no other way. I'm not doing carpentry anymore, right? I'm not building Decapolis, right? The 10 city. I'm not doing any. I'm not the stone, working stonework, any of those other things. Um, publicly, I'm letting you know, I'm staking out my public position that I am dedicated to my purpose. That's the spirit. And that was what got him to power. And as Jesus is, so are we in this world. And that's what gets us to power. Hallelujah. I'm excited. Once that happens, when you go through that dedication of now I'm, de- I'm, I'm holy and dedicated to my purpose, you find out what it is and you publicly claim this is my purpose, then you get power. And here's those three branches on each side. The spirit of wisdom, which is skill in all manner of workmanship and making decisions. You get supernatural skill in anything you put your hand to and in making decisions. The spirit of understanding. That's discernment. This is like supernatural discernment of what's going on behind the curtain, under the surface, what's not being said. You could discern, you could walk into any room and figure out immediately what's going on without anybody telling you. The Holy Spirit will read everybody's mail to you, and you know exactly who all the players are, what's going on, where they're coming from. This is an immense power. Then the next is the spirit of counsel. This is strategic plans. That's what it literally says in the Hebrew, spirit of counsel, strategic plans. This is game theory. This is six-dimensional chest or 10-dimensional. This is where you're 12 moves ahead of everybody, supernaturally. You know you could see exactly what you need to do, when to do it, and how to do it. That is power. The spirit of might, which is literally power. The spirit of might is dunamis, miracle-working power, making limbs grow back, opening blind eyes, deaf ears. And it's also energy. You never run out of energy. You're energized. You're not run down. It's force. It's authority. You walk in authority. When you walk in the room and the power of the Holy Spirit is upon you, the spirit of might, demons bow, and so does everybody else. Every every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which has come, principalities, powers, might, dominion, it doesn't matter. When you walk into the room with that power, that's why Jesus would say something and everybody fell down, and then he walked through them. That's what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. Read it. He said, you know, we're coming. Who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus. He said, I am he. Ooh, everybody fell down under the power. He had authority, had dominion. I lay down my life and I take it up. Nobody has the this is this, this is power. Not only to heal, uh, you know, lame people and paralytics, blind eyes. Also feed 5,000, feed 4,000, walk on the water. Then the next is the spirit of knowledge, which is expert in information and the workings. This is the science of things. You know exactly how everything works scientifically. That's the spirit of knowledge. 
So Jesus knew exactly which laws to enact to walk on the water. Doug Brown and I were talking about it. It's like, it's the same thing as the, there's the law of gravity, and then there's the law of lift and thrust. As soon as the Wright brothers discovered and tapped into the law of lift and thrust, then they could fly airplanes. Before that, you just fall off a cliff. Then there's the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And this is huge. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. I mean, this is in every one of my teach Covenant for Rookies, the Good and Evil series. Because if you don't know what the fear of the Lord is, people are like, I'm being scared of God, right? I went through this whole thing. Reverential respect. No, it's more than that. It tells you what the fear of the Lord is exactly, defines it. Because the Bible is a legal document, it always gives you a definition, just like it defined the seven spirits of God as the seven candlesticks. There's the seven candlesticks as the seven spirits. Then it defined the seven spirits. In Proverbs 8.13, here's what the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, the evil way, and the froward mouth. Do I hate? That's the fear of the Lord. When the Holy Listen, this has got to be supernatural. This is power. For you to be able to hate evil, and evil is adversity and affliction and calamity and great grief and harm and heaviness. That's fear and scarcity mindset. You cannot do it out of a natural mind. You have to have power in order to identify and hate evil as a personal enemy. And you got to hate pride and arrogancy. And you got to hate a froward mouth, which is self-talk that doesn't agree with what God says about you. That's what, that's King James for your self-talk doesn't line up with God. And it takes power right, to tame the tongue and to tame your self-talk so you're speaking good and not evil over yourself. That's power. Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. You'll eat the fruit of it. If you begin to speak good, you have the power of always speaking good. Hmm. You have what you say. You would speak to this mountain, be cast in the sea, you'd have whatever, you believe what you say, you'll have whatever you say. It takes supernatural ability to hate evil, to identify evil, to hate it, to be coachable, pride and arrogance that you hate, and also to tame your self-talk that would say anything that goes against what God says about you. So it's taken me a, a long time, and you've got to go through this process. You can't just skip over the spirit of truth, the spirit of grace, the spirit of faith, the spirit of light, the spirit of adoption, the promise, the spirit of glory, and the spirit of holiness, and just skip to having power. You could try it. I'm mean, Samson did. How'd that work out for him? He had his eyes gouged out with a couple of hot iron pokers chained to some, you know, pillars. Oh, yeah, he killed more in his death. Congratulations. You died young. You didn't fulfill your purpose. And you died blind. I blind. Not blind. <laughs> blind. And in chains. Uh, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. I'll, we'll look at these more in the future, maybe, but we begin to meditate on these things. You can't even get to the power right until we get to the Spirit of the Lord of the Presence and go through those seven spirits of the Spirit of the Lord, that center shaft of the candlestick. Then you get the three on the left and the three on the right. But God gives the Spirit without limit, without measure, to everyone he sends is the one that speaks. Who are, How do we know we're sent? Because we're speaking the rhema, the spoken words of God. When God gives me rhema and I speak it, that's who he gives the spirit without limit to. And remember, 
Faith comes from hearing the rhema. And the logos written word, well, it doesn't profit people if it isn't mixed with faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. You got to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder. Oh, hallelujah. This is so good. Drew and I have been talking about these seven spirits of God for months and months. I wanted to get here. Finally, we're here. Don't waste it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Seal it in our hearts and help us to cooperate with our earthly Father, the spirit of adoption, the official pronouncement of our patrimony, the Holy Spirit is now our earthly Father, and participate and cooperate and be deliberate in meditating upon and, 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 and being participant of the spirit of truth, the spirit of grace, the spirit of faith, the spirit of life, that spirit of adoption and promise, the spirit of glory. And the spirit of holiness, is, which is the means by which we get power as full-grown sons and daughters. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.